Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 68, Marvin. Today's proverb comes from Jane Austen. I'll read it twice. The memory is sometimes so retentive, so serviceable, so obedient, at others so bewildered and so weak, and at others again so tyrannic, so beyond control. We are, to be sure, a miracle every way, but our powers of recollecting and of forgetting do seem peculiarly past finding out. Once more, the memory is sometimes so retentive, so serviceable, so obedient, at others so bewildered and so weak, and at others again so tyrannic, so beyond control. We are, to be sure, a miracle every way. But our powers of recollecting and of forgetting do seem peculiarly past finding out. I would like to tell a story. And the story is long. And the story has two moments There are two moments in the story that will be a little unbelievable. There are two points in the plot where I'll turn a corner and you will think, no, no, that couldn't have happened. No reasonable person would do that or not do that. And yet... I've told you in advance, so I'm hoping that those moments pass, that you allow them to pass, that is. 
our powers of recollecting and of forgetting, the power of forgetting is unspeakable, ineffable. Several years ago, and I tell this story, I should interrupt myself one more time. I tell this story because in an episode recently, maybe two weeks ago, I made the comment that every summer since I quit flying, I have become ill in the course of the summer and believed that I was on the verge of death. And I want to tell one of those stories. I want to tell a story about how this often looks when it happens. So several years ago, I traveled from Richmond, Virginia to Dallas for a educators conference. And I was going to make the trip in two days. And my stop was in Atlanta. And I had some friends I was going to see in Atlanta and I was going to stay for the night and then leave early in the morning. The first day of driving was going to be relatively lean compared to the second day. And so I showed up at Atlanta, suburbs of Atlanta, I should say. And I spent the night with some friends. And when I showed up, they have a whole bunch of kids and we were going to make a whole bunch of pizzas for dinner. And my friend had all the, all the things necessary to make the pizzas. He had the dough and the cheese and the sauce and all these toppings. And so we made these pizzas and, and I made one. And he had, as an, as an option for the toppings on the pizza, he had this chorizo. And I put some of this chorizo on my pizza and when it was cooked and I ate it and we were all sitting around for dinner, I said, wow, this chorizo is really tasty. This is really good. And he said, well, if you really like it, you're not just being polite, you're in luck. Um, because I have a whole bunch more of it and I would love to give it to you. And I said, I was not just being polite. I think this is really, really delicious. I would love some. And so he gave me uh, a package of this chorizo. And it's a long link, right? It's a long U-shaped link. The ends are tied up in such a way that you could hang it on a nail, if you know the kind I'm talking about. And it was bright red. And it came in this package that, was a, that was, had a little plastic window in it so that you could see the, you know, you could see the chorizo inside. And the rest of it was made with this wax paper. I forget the name of it, forget the brand. But I was traveling with, um, with a cooler in my car. I was traveling all by myself. And I had um, brought some beer. And so we shared the beer with the pizza. And as I recall, he had way better beer than I did. And he even gave me some of that. And, and um, so the next morning I woke up early and I got my, uh, got my little cooler out, I put some fresh ice in it and I put the chorizo in there. And I mean, this is a fully cooked, you know, it's a fully cooked sausage. It's not, um, not like raw links or something like that. And so I put the chorizo in the beer and some other things that he gave me in the, in the cooler and I get in the car and I go on my way. It was, June when I was making this trip 
probably guess that. But. So the next day is very long and I show up at the hotel late in the evening and I park my car and for a very large hotel, they had a massive parking lot and you didn't have to use a valet. So I park my car and I get my bag and I go in. And if you've ever been to an educators conference, like especially the sort that they hold in Dallas at a great big hotel, you may show up at the hotel and not really leave, not leave in a car until the whole thing is over. So I show up at the hotel and park the car and go in. And I was there, I think I was there for the pre-conference. And so I showed up the night before the pre-conference. I think it was four days, right? I was, I was there for four days. And in all of this time, I did not go back to the car. Didn't bring the cooler in. The cooler stayed in the trunk of the car. Conference ends. And I had this long, circuitous route planned back from Dallas. And I was going to go through Concord, actually. And I had this two-day meeting at the Searcy offices that I was going to be at, where there was some planning for the coming year. And, uh, and so it was a long trip from Dallas to Concord. Very long trip. I forget how many hours it was. It was well north of 10 hours, probably 12 hours. And while I was going from Dallas to, to Concord, I got caught in the monster traffic jam to end all traffic jams. And the morning that I, the morning that I left the hotel in Dallas to get to Concord, I knew that I had this very long, this interminable day of driving ahead of me. And so I had left quite early in the morning. Um, and I had not really tidied the car. I mean, the car wasn't a mess, but I hadn't taken stock of the car. I had not stopped by a grocery store. And it took, I, I made myself this promise when I got in the car and left Dallas that I was not going to stop until I was, I wasn't going to take my first break until I was out of Dallas, which was a big mistake because Dallas is as big as Texas. Like it, it took hours and hours. Like I could not believe how long it took to get out of Dallas. It just kept going. So I was ill prepared for this trip. I had no food in the car with me. And around 11 in the morning, after getting caught in this monster traffic jam, having left at like 6.30 in the morning, I finally inch my way into a rest stop. Like I'm stuck in this traffic jam for a very long time and I finally get up to this rest stop and I immediately pull over I get out of the car and stretch my legs and I'm, I'm thinking I should get something from a vending machine because I'm really hungry. But I was in a really picky mood. I go up to the vending machine, I look around, there's nothing that looks good. It's all 
you know, Oreos and Pop-Tarts and that kind of thing. So I get a Pepsi or whatever and I drink it and I can see onto the highway that traffic is not moving at all. I mean, traffic is moving like an inch a minute. There, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. And I had been stuck in this for an hour. So there's no point in getting back in the car. Like, I really just need to wait until I see traffic let up. But I'm also really hungry. And picky. And as I'm standing, standing there next to the car, I realize I do have some food, actually. <laughs> I think I have a chorizo, as a matter of fact. Now, if you've ever been to Texas in the summer, you know how hot it is. When I lifted the trunk and opened the lid of the cooler, steam billowed out. It, the ice must have been spent. The ice must have been completely gone days earlier. And this chorizo had been sitting there in a hundred degree weather, probably even, even higher because it was in the trunk of the car. It had been sitting there for days. When I peered through the see-through cellophane part of the package, it was a mess. Like the cellophane looked like the back window of that car in Pulp Fiction when Marvin gets shot in the face. It was a mess. This chorizo was leaking grease and guts all over the inside of this package. The package was like wet inside. I picked up the package and I can feel how wet it is inside. And I was like, oh man, probably not edible, right? Should have thrown it away, but the thought at the time was, well, I mean, this was fully cooked. So what's the worst that could happen? I mean, it's fully cooked. Do not the words fully cooked generally connote this is safe to eat under more circumstances than something which is not fully cooked. So I'm looking, but the thing is, is that the package looks dangerous, like just to look through it and to see all of this mess inside. It was not even the sort of thing that you would want to touch with your bare fingers. So I didn't. I carefully tear open the top and sort of push the chorizo out like a popsicle. And I look at it and I really can't tell. Like in that moment, I really can't tell if it's safe, if it's what it's going to taste like. I'm wondering. Take a sniff. And the, the thing is, is that the sniff doesn't prove anything. I don't know if you've been in that situation before. Where you're wondering if I can eat something. Can I eat this? Is this still good? And you're like, I'll take a sniff. And you take a sniff and then you immediately think to yourself, I actually don't remember what this is supposed to smell like. I'm not saying this smells questionable. I'm saying I'm questioning myself. Do I actually know what this is supposed to smell like? So I have not, I have not eaten in hours. I'm hungry. Don't want Oreos and a Pop-Tart. And so I'm just 
I'm pacing around the parking lot, holding the sausage like a gun, like I'm going to do something with it. Traffic's not going anywhere. I'm not getting out of this rest stop without making a decision. And so there it is. There's the decision. It's in front of me. Do I eat this thing or not? And the simplest solution would have just been to throw it away and to buy a pack of Oreos and just be done with it. But the longer I stood there holding it, the more it felt like I had to make a decision. I was all by myself. And so I decided I'm going to take a bite. And the moment I take a bite, I will know. I will know if this is a safe thing to do. Now, here's the first unbelievable part of the story. What would a sane person do in this scenario? Well, he would throw it out. But if a sane person was resolved to not throw it out, would not a sane person take a small bite first? I did not take a small bite. I tore into this thing, took, like ripped off a massive amount of it and stood there chewing curiously, trying to decide as I chewed, is this safe or not? So I chew and I chew and I chew this huge bite. And after waiting long enough, Swallowed it. Now, I thought that it would have proved something, but even after I swallowed that first bite, I was not entirely persuaded that it was good or not good. So I took another bite. And as soon as I took the second bite, I realized this was a huge mistake. And so I spat it out. I spat out the second bite of the chorizo. And I threw it away. And I don't remember what happened next. I waited out the traffic jam, um, got another Pepsi, whatever. Got in the car, carried on, went all the way to... After I get to Concord, on the first day of the meeting, it is decided that we're all going to go out for lunch together. And there was, you know, 12 of us. And we're going to go to a sushi place. So we go to the sushi spot. Everybody kind of orders like a group meal that we share many parts of. Things carry on as normal. And that night, I'm lying in bed in Andrew Kern's house. And it's one in the morning and I can't sleep. And I can't sleep because my stomach is making the weirdest noises I have ever heard in my whole life. I don't have a lot of pain. In fact, there's not pain, there's not nausea. But my stomach is making the weirdest sounds I've ever heard. It sounded like a laser fight from the 1980s. Lying there all alone in the dark, stomachs doing stuff like pew! 
all night long. It sounded like, um, like the laser gun fight at the end of Moonraker. All night long. Couldn't sleep. When I wake up the next day, this meeting carries on. And my stomach during the course of the meeting is so loud that the people next to me can hear it. And it's not just the sort of, you know, polite, happy grumbling sounds that hungry tummies make. Like, my stomach is churning. And so I got some Tums. Didn't really work. And I, I remember asking people, and this is, the, this is the second sort of unbelievable part of the story. I was asking people at the table, nobody else got in? Nobody else feels awful? Really? And I thought it was the sushi. I was like, I got bad sushi. That was the problem. I had completely forgotten about the chorizo already. And I couldn't believe, like, no one else. How do we go to a sushi restaurant and I'm the only guy who got anything? No one else? And at this point, it's just weird sounds. I swear to you, that's all it is. Just these weird sounds. And I'm convinced that it's the sushi. But the meeting ends. I return back to Richmond and the day I get back to Richmond, the, the morning after, man, these thick waves of nausea are washing over me for hours in the morning. I felt on the verge for hours at a time. And the whole time, I'm like, I don't know what it is. Because if it wasn't the sushi, if no one else got hit by the sushi, what could it possibly be? Sausage not coming up, no chorizo coming up. Over the course of the next five weeks, I spent close to $2,000 visiting doctors trying to get a handle on what this was. Now, as with so many other sicknesses that I have in the summer, what I get are a few concerning symptoms and then nothing else that surrounds a more significant diagnosis. And I'm a bad Googler of symptoms. Uh, I ended up going in to get an ultrasound of all my guts. That was quite costly. And that was after suffering for weeks. I mean, I went to see my general physician who put me on a strict regimen of Zantac 75 and, and I got some anti-nausea medicine and tried to power through it, but I was fairly convinced, because I'm a bad Googler of symptoms, I was fairly convinced that it was pancreatic cancer, based on everything, based on like matching up symptoms and all that. 
I was like, I'm going to die. And I believed for several weeks that summer that I was going to die. And then I had pancreatic cancer. And after I came up with this diagnosis myself, self-fulfilling prophecy, just started to notice more and more symptoms. I mean, this is the kind of thing where I'm like staying up till three in the morning on message boards for pancreatic survivors of pancreatic cancer. Like I, did the, I, I do this all the time. Finally, when I finally go get the ultrasound, it's painful at a couple places where they like got the wand and the jelly on there and they're like poking it into my sides. And at one point, the woman who's doing the ultrasound like pressed somewhere and I, and I bellowed. And she was like, did that hurt? And I said, oh yes. And her response was, ooh, like, that's unusual, that's bad. And I said, what is it? And she's like, well, I'm not supposed to interpret what happens. That's for the doctor. I was like, great, I knew it. I knew it. I left. I left the ultrasound. And I drove to church and I prayed for a while. And then I went and bought my wife some presents and had a long conversation with her that night where I said the sort of things that you say to your wife when you fear God and are fairly certain that you're going to die soon. Get a phone call the next day. Everything looks just fine. No problems. Back to the drawing board. So finally, like weeks after this, I get to see this specialist that I've been waiting, you know, a long time to see. I get to see this specialist, gastroenterologist. I drive to this part of town that I never go to, which is where the gastroenterologist always is. And he's this old guy. And he has this uh, young assistant or this young trainee and he asks my permission, can I bring this guy in? Can he be here while you have your consultation? I'm like, sure, fine. And, uh, and so they sit down and, and I'm nervous about what I'm going to hear because I still don't really have an answer for it. And he says, when did you start to feel sick? And I, was, and I said, like, um, you know, July 22nd. And, uh, and he looks at me and he says, well, I'm not sure what you're worried about, but you don't have cancer. <laughs> and I said, how do you know? And he, and he says, if you had cancer, you would not remember when you got sick. It would be this fuzzy thing in your memory. And uh, I was like, okay, well, that, I mean, that's promising. And so he said... Um, and, and the date that I gave him was the date that I came back to Richmond after this long trip. So we run through all of these other questions and I tell him, like, I lived in Panama 20 years ago, 30 years ago, actually. Um, and he's somewhat interested in that. And after he hears my whole story and I tell him about all the, you know, the pills that I've taken and the drugs and all this, he says, look, based on your story, there's really only one thing that could have happened to you. 
And that's you ate something you shouldn't have eaten. That's the story that you just told me, minus the description of whatever food it was that you shouldn't have eaten. So did you eat anything odd in the days before you got sick? And I looked at him and said, but there was some sushi, but no one else got sick. That's the, um, well, actually there was this, um, there was this chorizo. <laughs> I tell him this story and I get to the end and he's like, oh yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> no way. That's not what it was. I say, okay, so what do I have? And he said, well, you know how when something goes wrong with a computer and you may have to restart it four or five times to get it working right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, there's this Greek concept. I don't remember what it was. Ancient Greek concept. The fellow might have gotten it from Hippocrates himself. And he said, this Greek concept is, is basically that everything inside your body kind of works in this very delicate system. And if something seriously goes wrong in the system, the system might have to restart like five or six times before it gets to working right. So this all was five weeks ago. I bet you're fine five weeks from now. That's how I took this diagnosis. And I went home and five weeks later, I was totally fine. Now, why I could not remember why the whole affair of the chorizo never entered my head when I was talking to my physician, why this never came up, hard to be certain. What is certain? We are a miracle every way, but our powers of recollecting and of forgetting do seem peculiarly past finding out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.